You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 16 of the Keep Going Podcast. Right now, we're, we're in a series called A Walk Through the Psalms, and today our focus is still on Psalms 90 through 106. Just a note, I use the New Living Translation as my primary text because it's readable, and I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. Let's review the previous podcast in two points. Number one, we found connections between Book 4 of the Psalms and the life of Joseph through learning how his character was tested during his season of waiting until God's word was fulfilled in his life. In the same way, our character is tested during our seasons of waiting until God's word to us is fulfilled. Number two, we discuss how God tests our character in order to show us our competencies in matters of faith and to show us areas that we could trust him more. He's not trying to prove that we have shortcomings. Welcome to the Indefinite Wait, Part 3. I taught myself how to sew when I was in sixth grade. I wanted a Laura Ashley dress so badly, and we had found a pattern for one. My mother and I bought pink fabric with tiny white dots and all the notions. Teach me how to sew, teach me how to sew, I pestered her. She told me to wait, and I said okay. But then, one day, I didn't feel well and had a fever, so she let me stay home from school. She went on to work, but by 10.30 I felt fine and was looking for something to do. I caught that pattern in the corner of my eye. When I pulled out the instructions, I remember looking at each section and thinking, I could do that part, and I could do that part. And so I cut out the pattern, cut out the fabric, and sewed that entire dress by the time my mom got home from work. I didn't even know what a selvage was, but I had inset puffy gathered sleeves. I had put in a zipper. I had applied interfacing and turned a collar. And when my mom pulled into the driveway, all I had left was the hem. She came in and just stood there, looking at me and looking at the dress. I didn't want to wait, I said. We all know it's hard to wait. Over the last two podcasts, I've spent plenty of words on that aspect of promise pursuit, the difficulty of waiting. So this podcast will be dedicated to the opposite. I'm not talking about how hard it is to wait, but how fun it can be to wait. That's our choice. I'm not being sarcastic. I mean it. At least one of these three podcasts needs to be about how the goodness of the Lord really does taste good. So part one of Welcome to the Indefinite Wait emphasized staying under the covering of God's timing. Our waiting is perfect. Part two emphasized embracing the training of God's timing. Our waiting has purpose. And part three will emphasize relishing the joy of God's timing. 
are waiting can be a pleasure. This podcast will be a little bit longer because we're going to wade through a few difficult things before we get to the pleasure. Our touchstone verse for this lesson needs a couple of precursors. Before we get to the why and how waiting can be fun, we must talk about the block to that fun. The block to having fun while you wait is simple. It's the fear of growing old. Not just the fear of wasted time, not just the fear of missing out. Both of those fears are too tame. No, it's the fear of growing old. And let's be completely honest here. The fear of growing old is only the fear of death in disguise. I was telling the truth. This podcast is going to teach us about fun, but the lesson itself may just be real. And that's not always fun. In book four of the Psalms, there are many mentions of the passing of time. In Psalm 90, 70 years are given to us. Some may even reach 80, but even the best of these years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we are gone. In Psalm 102, For my days disappear like smoke. My life passes swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withering like grass. In Psalm 103, Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and die. All of this negative view of aging concerns me, mainly because more and more I hear people talking about how they're getting old. And I think if we allow ourselves to entertain thoughts about oldness, then the very next thoughts we'll entertain are those that run along the lines of, it's too late for me. And if you allow yourself to think that any date is too late, Satan will push that date up and push that date up and push that date up until you think it's too late to start something because you're as young as 40, which is really the beginning of your greatest service and wisdom. And it's not too late for anything. So what do I do when thoughts of oldness or too lateness pop into my head? I refute that lie with scripture-based truth. And I say it out loud. In this section of Psalms, we read the very psalm that I repeat to myself out loud when I'm tempted to think that aging is negative. It says, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted into the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is nothing but goodness in him. Did you hear that? God is telling us what to say. If phrases such as, I am old or it is too late come to my mind, I know where they come from and they are not from God's mouth. So I don't say them out loud with mine. Well, I may start to, but then I stop. God tells us what we should be saying. He wants us to say out loud, The Lord is just. He is my rock. There is nothing but goodness in him. People who say that will continually bear fruit. They will remain vital and green at any age. I'm not kidding. That is what I say out loud. I'm kind of a talker to myselfer. I don't even try to hide it anymore. You can think I'm odd. I really don't care. But listen, I don't just say anything to myself. I say things that agree with God about my life. 
And one of the things that I frequently say is, Nika Maples, even in old age, you will continue to produce fruit. You will remain vital and green. The word tells us that we will reap what we sow, that the tongue has the power of life and death, and that those who love it will eat its fruit. So I'm careful what I say about myself because my words will have a harvest and then I will have to eat that harvest. Be aware that there is a way of misunderstanding why we speak scripture out loud. This is a disclaimer. Speaking scripture out loud is not rooted in mystical spirituality. We are not casting spells. We are stating facts to remind ourselves of the truth. I have been around some people who will say certain Bible verses in such a way when they're praying that it's almost as if they believe there's some magic in that particular string of words. No, we pray scripture out loud because there is supernatural power in knowing the truth. The truth sets us free. We are designed to live on the fuel of truth. We repeat God's word to refill our gas tanks lest we stall out on the side of life. Only truth will keep us on the road and will give us what we need to make it all the way to our destination. Only truth will give us what we need to make it all the way to our destiny. Which brings me to the topic of this podcast, the fun of the wait on the way to our destiny. See, there's a difference between aging and aging well. And there is a difference between waiting and waiting well. It takes intention. I told you that I taught myself how to sew, but Olita Lovell taught me how to sew well. She was my junior high home economics teacher, and I took her sewing class, followed by her cooking class. I still have all of her recipes written in my 13-year-old handwriting, but sewing was my favorite. Olita was amazed by my eagerness and the way I never thought anything was too hard to try. She would chuckle at the difficult patterns I would pick and later correct me when I would take shortcuts, which I always did. A fine pattern should be sewn well, and she would instruct me to finish the seams on the inside or line a garment or take the trouble to baste by hand first. Uh, no thanks. I wanted to get it done and wear it the next day, not the next week. She suggested that I buy easy-to-sew McCall's patterns. Uh, no, I wanted Vogue patterns. Olita would smile and shake her head at me again and again. Every time I saw her over the years, she would grin and tell anyone who was listening that she'd never had a 7th grade student who insisted on tackling the most difficult projects. I saw her in October, and she laughed and told the person next to us that I was the one student in her sewing class who didn't need her. But I did. I did need her. I remember she invited me to stay after school and help her sew curtains for the classroom, which no other student was invited to do. She told me she needed me to hold the fabric in my lap, feeding it to her as she ran it through the machine. Now I know better. I myself have made plenty of curtains. I've even made a couple of queen-size quilts. 
Even with a project that is extra large, you can manage by yourself. You don't need someone to sit there and feed the fabric to you. She had me stay after school and sit beside her because the whole time that machine was humming, she was telling me how special I was, how smart, how creative, and how capable. Those were things I didn't know about myself. No, she didn't need me there, but she knew I needed her. Last week I needed her again because, as I said, I know how to sew, but I had picked a special project, a project that I wanted to sew well. I took the pattern to her on Tuesday of that week because I was going to ask her for her opinion on fabrics. I wasn't sure if I needed a special needle. I wasn't sure if these fabrics would require a different way of handling. I didn't know how to adjust the pattern for the changes that I had envisioned. On my way to visit her, I pictured how her face was going to light up to be working together again. She wasn't feeling well when I got there, so I just wrote a little poem and left it behind on her door. Two days later, I headed back to see her, taking the pattern with me again. Then I got a phone call that punched me in the chest. While I was on my way to see her, I found out that she had passed away. I held the tears in my throat until it ached. Olita had a beautiful influence on everyone who knew her. Many friends I know are hurting over the tremendous loss of this dear one. It feels like someone was stolen from us. But she wasn't stolen from us. That's not the way it works. Psalm 139 reads, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And Job 14.5 says it too. A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months, and you have set limits that he cannot exceed. That right there is why I have to write a podcast about the pleasure of waiting, because life is brief. Our touchstone verse is Psalm 90, 12 through 17. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O oh Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. I especially love that last part in the NIV. It reads, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. By the way, that is another verse I often say out loud over myself. Almost every time I sit down to write. But that touchstone verse marries two significant concepts, the brevity of life and the necessity of gladness. That passage asks God to remind us how short our days are. And then it reads, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Basically, it's saying, if we're only going to live a little while, then help us to live well. Cultivating joy in the Lord is one way that we live well. Here's the deal. 
Living well is a choice. Let me offer a personal example. As I said, I've been hurting over the loss of my dear friend, and there have been many times recently when I would suddenly be overwhelmed with tears. It would be especially hard for me and a group of people who were laughing and having fun. That was when the grief would hit me bitterly. One of the times I thought, there is not a person in this room who knows what the world just lost, and not a person in this room knows how my heart is bruised because of it. I immediately became crestfallen. My shoulders drooped and my smile fell away. I just wanted to run out of there as fast as I could, and as soon as I had the opportunity, I did. I cried when I got in the car. I let myself disappear from people like that. But even as I did, I knew I was making a choice that would have an impact in the long run. And I needed to concentrate on making a better choice next time. I didn't even say goodbye to anyone. The way we grieve affects the people around us. Now, don't hear me shortchanging the importance of grief. It takes time. And I've always appreciated Proverbs 25:20. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. I think of that verse a lot because I am an encourager. I have the gift of exhortation, which means my first reaction is always to cheer people up and cheer people on. But there is a season for every activity under heaven. And I have to remember that sometimes the greatest encouragement that you can give a person is to stop cheering them up and just listen to them cry. Saying nothing at just the right time can encourage more powerfully than a thousand words said at the wrong time. I'm talking about grief because it is intricately involved with waiting. I'm not playing around here. If you wait long enough, you will endure the death of a long-held expectation or two, or three. At the very least, you will experience the death of your timetable, and that hurts. Don't let anybody tell you that it doesn't. Yes, it was hard to be in that room of happy people when the grief hit. And yes, it felt like vinegar, on a wound to hear them laugh. But if you and I constantly avoid those environments during times of waiting, then we're making a dangerous mistake. I once had a conversation with someone who said she did not feel that she needed to attend baby showers anymore. They hurt too badly because she and her husband were really aching over not being able to get pregnant themselves. I listened, but afterwards, I must tell you that I was blunt with her. Exhortation is defined as emphatically urging someone to do something. People don't always like it when you emphatically urge them to do something. The gift of exhortation is not always received as a gift, but please hear me out. If you are aching in the wait for certain things and are avoiding weddings or baby showers or anything else, I understand the emotion that is stirred by such events, but for us to avoid joy because of personal pain is a selfish choice. It is making someone else's celebration weirdly about us. 
So I said to her, well, I guess you can avoid baby showers because it reminds you of the pain of not getting pregnant. But I'm still trying to figure out how to avoid people who walk because it reminds me of the pain of having a disability. Yeah, since then I've worked on my delivery. But here's the point. Don't avoid joy, not even someone else's. There's nothing wrong with allowing yourself time to feel pain. I'm not saying to ignore it. God gave us emotions as processors for life events. When we numb ourselves and do not give ourselves the grace to feel, then we do not process life. And that is very scary. That's how we unplug from reality. So feel angry, feel sad, feel the grief, feel upset, but stay on the road to joy. Practically speaking, how do I do that? For instance, on a day when I can hardly smile through my grief. Well, let's look at last weekend. I wanted to spend the day crying and writing in my journal. I was upset about a lot of things. Sometimes grief loosens a lot of the sediment of unprocessed emotions. But after a while of all that crying, I decided to get up and help somebody. That's tip number one. It's the only one. Help somebody. It's the best way to stay on the road to joy. So I called up my friend and I said, I'm really sad and upset today. I need to help somebody in order to stop thinking about myself. Can I help you do anything? Actually, she did need help with something pretty badly. And just being with her that day and focusing on her needs buoyed my soul tremendously. The next morning, I was able to pray and praise and seek God with a real desire for him to heal my hurting heart. And he did. I was able to go to church and love on people instead of skipping it because I was sad. That was enough for that one weekend. And that's what I'll do the next time and the next time. Ache happens in cycles, but so does healing. If you are hurting because your weight is not fun, if you are not tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, please consider getting up and helping someone today. You can even do what I did and just be honest about it. Say, look, I'm sad today. I need to help somebody instead of focusing on myself. Can I help you with anything? Or you can just ask someone, do you need any help? Without telling them why you're calling. This one action, offering to help, it's critical. But it is action. Action. Action can be small, but there must be action. Now, I typically do not like chick movies at all. I much prefer James Bond, but... Say Anything is one of my favorite movies of all time. The main character, Lloyd, is lovable and tender-hearted and an eternal optimist. You can't help but fall for Lloyd. One of his best lines is when he says to his sister, who is always grouchy, Why can't you be in a good mood? How hard is it to decide to be in a good mood and just be in a good mood once in a while? I mean, really. Have you ever tried saying this to yourself? While I don't think you can just decide to be in a good mood, I do think that you can decide to take small actions that will improve your mood over time. 
Okay, here's another line. Once I met someone who was a state-level administrator, and that person looked at me coolly when I was complaining about something in Texas education. And she said, well, honey, you can just go ahead and get happy in the same shoes you got sat in. I stood there stunned. It shut me up long enough to realize there was absolutely nothing that could be done about my complaint. Nothing. So then I chose to see the situation differently. And what do you know? I was happier. Or here's another one. A very wise friend of mine says, fun is an attitude, not an event. I love that because satisfaction does not hinge on circumstances. It hinges on the heart. Haven't you met people who seem to have it all, but were still miserable? That's because fun is an attitude, not an event. We can actually determine to enjoy everything about life, even circumstances that are not inherently pleasant. That is what Moses meant when he wrote in Psalm 90. Yes, Moses wrote one of the Psalms. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Remember, Moses had to face a lot of hard things while he waited and waited and waited for the promised land. I don't care what we've been through in our lives. None of us have walked in the desert for 40 years. But Moses did, and he said God's unfailing love was enough to satisfy even then. He was singing for joy to the end of his life. If anyone knows how to find pleasure in a terrible weight, it is Moses. So let's listen to him when he says God's love is enough. Now, let's apply those three lines I just mentioned. Can you imagine how much easier waiting would be if we just decided to be in a good mood? What if we got happy in the same shoes we got sad in? What if we believed that fun really is an attitude, not an event? Yeah, some days it's easier for me than others. I told you I am a bold exhorter, but I don't dish out anything I'm unwilling to take. You better believe I surround myself with bold exhorters as a measure for firmly supporting myself should I fall. This year, I was talking with a friend at the end of the day, and I was telling her how frustrated and full of doubt I was after all that had happened during that day. I ended my complaint fest with, I don't know, that's just where I am. She answered, well, Nika, that's just where you are because you got on the wrong train today. This morning, you boarded a train of thought that would take you to frustration and doubt by nightfall. I wish you had boarded the Philippians 4-8 train. You would be in a very different place right now. Ouch! But it's true. This is what the Bible means when it says the wounds of a friend are faithful. She mentioned Philippians 4-8. You know that verse, right? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about good, period. God would never tell us to do something that we could not do. He told us to think about good, period. And if he tells us to control the way we think, it's because we can do it. These days, people act like they're at the mercy of their thoughts, but that's not truth. 
A thought that enters does not have to be a thought that we entertain. There is a difference. It is possible to shift the way that we think about a painful circumstance like waiting. Now, if you can't picture how we can shift the way we view a negative circumstance in order to think of it positively, then just consider the opposite. We can easily shift a positive circumstance and think of it negatively. Take the story of Abraham and Sarah. The Lord came and told them that they would have a son. The response should have been, woohoo! <laughs> but what did they say? Oh, we're old. It's too late. Here we are, full circle in this podcast. There's that fear of growing old again, that fear of death. We get scared when we think it's too late. But the Lord said their natural timing had nothing to do with it. His supernatural timing was all they counted. What they had to do was wait. Well, that's not all they had to do. They were promised a baby. So in addition to the waiting, they also had to pursue the promise. And if you'll forgive me for saying this, the part they had to play in pursuit of the promise was supposed to be fun. That's it. They were supposed to wait and have fun. But instead, they twisted the way they viewed their weight and turned the whole thing from positive into negative. What happened to the fun? They made it way too hard, adding their own ideas of what to do to get the promise. What did they end up with? A lot of problems before they got the promise. We do the same thing. Can't we learn from their mistake and choose to view the weight as something positive instead of negative? Maybe get to the promise without so many problems? Another one of my favorite movies is Still Breathing. It's a chick movie. I know I said I don't like those, but I do love that movie. And for this one, I must add another disclaimer about the fact that I do not endorse magic. This movie is about a guy named Fletcher who has a vision and a dream that tells him who his wife will be. But she resists him and resists him and causes him a great amount of frustration. This movie presents his vision and dream without a real explanation. But I don't want you to think I would endorse mystical spirituality, which I do not for one moment believe. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit can connect specific people with a vision and a dream, which is why I love the movie. Anyway, the point of the movie is that he is willing to wait for her and endure her resistance because he doesn't view her as just anybody. He knows who she is, that she's worth the work because she is meant for him. He enjoys his weight. This is not that much different from the biblical story of Jacob and Rachel when it says, so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him like a few days. Delayed gratification is so beautiful for everyone else, right? But it's really irritating for us. One line from Still Breathing that applies to this podcast is when Fletcher says something like, if you loved chocolate and found the best piece of chocolate in the whole world, wouldn't you wait until the right time to eat it? You wouldn't gobble it up all at once. You would want to wait until everything is just right first. Then you would enjoy it. 
Try viewing your waiting time as a period when God is making things just right for you to receive a blessing. Admit that he is not withholding, he is preparing. Perhaps then you will view waiting differently and you will have fun during your wait. Perspective is always chosen. That is a truth echoed in another one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 15, 15. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. But for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Choose to cultivate a happy heart and you will enjoy a continual feast. Allow yourself to become despondent and every day will bring trouble. Again, perspective is always chosen. We will see what we intend to see. Once I heard General Colin Powell answer the media in such a classy way, I've never forgotten it. A reporter asked him if he would continue in his role as Secretary of State or quit. He answered, I serve at the pleasure of the President. The reporter pressed and asked again, but he answered the same way, I serve at the pleasure of the President. I've told you in previous blog posts and podcasts that I am quite invested in the pursuit of promises this year. Right now, I'm waiting on four different promises that the Lord has planted in my heart. Now, I can make things more complicated, like Sarah did, trying to hurry everything along, or I can enjoy the wait, knowing that the wait is designed by God to perfectly bless me and everyone else involved. But as I wait, my timetable has died a hundred times over. And I have experienced grief upon grief. When I have, I've let myself process it. But I've learned to take small actions when I can to flip every complaint. When I'm tempted to say, I'm so tired of waiting, I finish that with, but I won't quit because I wait at the pleasure of the king. It is a way of turning waiting into worship. It is approaching the wait as my eager service to Jesus, and it makes my waiting a pleasure. God sees this childlike quality in my heart, and he smiles. Give him your heart this way. Give him the day of no complaints, and then tomorrow, give it again, and the next day, and the next day. Give him your thoughts, give him your perspective, and give it all cheerfully. You are not too old. You are not too late. Give God your timetable and give it with gladness. God loves a cheerful giver. Psalm 91 by Shane is Shane and is used with permission. If you would like to receive updates, monthly encouragements, and a prayer of blessing over your name every month, please sign up for my email list at nikamaples.com. Don't forget to include your birthday. Birthdays are my favorite. And now, remember, there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, Ephesians 4.4. Hey, we'll talk soon. Until then, keep going.